I have a confession to make to you. Um, this isn't my actual name, not my given name anyway, sorry. I just thought we should start <laughs> with honesty and truth, and I know you'll be gracious to me, but no, that's my grandfather's name, but I, I've taken it for a number of years, and, and so my given name, I, I don't even like saying it out loud, actually, because it's, it's like... It's so old, it's Old Testament, you know what I mean? Like, Jonathan is uh, good friends with David, and that's, that's fine, but, but it takes me back to the second grade. So there was kind of a new chapter in my life. I finished the second grade, you know, and I, I, I just, I move into third grade, which was way cooler. I had this new hip teacher, you know, this is like 1990, and like Mario Brothers was like the biggest thing in the world. And my teacher was like, you're, you're John. I was like, oh, okay. And I knew that my, you know, Papa was John, and so that was fine. And, uh, but but even, even the last name is actually, like, on the maiden side of, of my family. And so I really just was like, no, my, my grandfather, that's the father figure, so I'm going to take that name, John. And so my friends in, in, in college finding out that my full name was Jonathan, again, it just takes me back. I feel like I'm in trouble. When, you know, when someone says they use even the middle name and stuff, you're like, oh, okay, what did I do? Like... Go easy on me, please. You kind of cower a little bit. Again, it takes me back. I'm like six, seven years old. But uh, I always wanted to be the real JS, the real John Sherwood. So some of my friends, they would refer to my grandfather as the real JS, but then they would just call me JS. But at one point in my life, I finally graduated to being the real JS, but only because my grandfather went first. But that was kind of a new chapter in my life. So you can call me John, just please, unless I'm really in trouble. Unless, like, you need to, like, I'm, I'm walking out into traffic. Then you call the full name, and I'll, I'll probably freeze. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a thing. You know, sometimes names can be kind of a new chapter or a nickname or something like that. Uh, but, you know, other things could happen, too. You know, in, in this next month, I mean, some people have already graduated from different programs. People do it all year round, depending on the program you're in. But graduation is a huge change. You finish one chapter, and you begin another one. Going to college, for me, I remember it's not that far away, but you guys know where Sussex is, how many people have been to Cowtown. It's like, this used to be a Cowtown, but that's still a Cowtown, you know? And you can smell it on your way in, but it's beautiful. And so when I was first leaving Fredericton and going to Sussex, I remember cresting the hill, and at the time, you couldn't see what's now the new... Um, I guess, you know, the Saunders Irving Chapel. You couldn't see, that didn't exist yet. But I was around when we broke ground for it. But I remember first cresting the hill and just seeing farms and, and there wasn't even Walmart yet. So how could you even count this as a town? I don't know. But I remember getting there and just being like, okay, I was dropped off. My mom drove away and I'm like, this is a new chapter. Have you been there where you've either moved or you've taken a new job or you got married or, or something? Now, it's not always good things. Sometimes there's bad things too, of course. And that's that's not the main priority of our focus, but often for a new chapter to begin, an old one has to be closed. And so that's kind of where we're at as a church. That's where I'm, I'm at right now. Uh, there's kind of a new genesis we're going to talk about. There's kind of a new beginning, and there's a new chapter even here at Crosspoint. But what we need to remember is that we're not returning to the past. We're actually rebuilding for the future. We're not going to go back. We're going to go forward, and that's a good thing. Thing, and you're going to be glad of that. But new seasons bring new opportunities and new energy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the powerful worship that our team just led us in. We thank you that we got to experience that. 
We thank you for Bob and, and Brenda and them sharing, not just from, from their heart and, and their ministry, but just giving us a picture into what's going on beyond where we're at. We thank you for the way that Crosspoint has been able to partner with missionaries for years and years, and even in this last year, being able to contribute more than 10% of what we've brought in. And so we want to continue to be mindful of those who are, are, are willing to go. When you say go, they're willing to go. And so we want to be like that too, and also to resource them. And we thank you for this time that we're about to look into your word. We thank you for this next chapter, chapter in this church, in this um, in, in our city, and that you would use us. Uh, so right now, just as, as we were praying, just as we were singing, that, that God really, your spirit would, would give us the, the words, your own words, that we would really be all about the Father's will as we go forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So speaking of the name thing, right? Again, Jonathan is more Old Testament, John is more new, and we're going to start in the prologue of John's gospel account. There's a few Johns to keep track of, and even in this, there's John that's writing, and although there's some debate, we believe that it's John the Apostle, the one, uh, the way he writes about himself. Do you remember Pastor Tim was talking? He's the one that, that got there first to the tomb. You know, Peter, it took Peter a lot longer to get there. We, we think it's that John, the same John that is, is called, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the one that at the Last Supper was leaning on the chest of Jesus, like he knew Jesus. And so we, we probably think that it's him that's writing. But there's going to be a John that comes up in here that's called John the Baptist. It's not like there's John the Wesleyan and then there's John the Baptist. It's not like that. It's John the Baptist, the Baptist, the one that came before Jesus, the one that was baptizing people and really proclaiming that, that a new kingdom is coming. You need to get ready for this. You need to get ready for the Messiah who's coming. You need to repent and believe. And so you're going to hear about that. So we're going to read uh, John chapter 1, not the entirety of it, but the first 18 verses are called the prologue. And it begins like this, and it might sound familiar. In the beginning, doesn't that sound like the beginning of, of something else? We're going to look at that in a moment. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, and John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received 
one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Isn't that amazing? I love that, personally, not just because of the name, but in the last few years, it's been something I've come back to time and again when I was a new believer. Reading through the Gospels, it wasn't all brand new to me, but it was fresh. I was seeing it with fresh eyes, and I hope you see that today. What we really want to know, first things first, is that that in the beginning, doesn't it sound like Genesis? Doesn't it sound like the first chapter of the Bible? In the beginning, Well, what we're understanding from John's writing here is that Jesus is before in the beginning. He's active in in the beginning, and he's still active today. There's this really cool thing. It's it's kind of poetic, right? And you understand sometimes there's A and there's B and then there's B and there's A or something like that. And sometimes things rhyme or sometimes things come back and forth. Well, this right here is, is called a chiasm. And there's often larger ones throughout Scripture. But in ancient literature, often they try to bring parallels and, and kind of connections. And so you're going to see that in the first two verses, it could really be, again, the verse numbers came much later. But this is something where it goes from in the beginning And then it goes to the word already existed, and then the word was with God, and then see how it almost mirrors, and the word was with God, he existed, right, comparing to the word already existed, and then in the beginning with God. And so John's really trying to do something, not just poetically, but trying to make it memorable to the readers, to the listeners, and to us. And so he's trying to get the point across, he pre-existed. How is that possible? It blows our mind, but Jesus was there even before the beginning, and he participated in the beginning. And so that's what we're looking at today. Uh, Timothy Keller says this, that there were three parties active in the creation of the world, God, God's spirit, and God's word through which he creates. And the same three parties are present at Jesus' baptism. You've noticed how it's recorded in all four gospel accounts for good reason. The Father, who is the voice, the Son, who is the word, and the Spirit fluttering like a dove. Now, you don't hear the Spirit yet. A little bit later, you're going to hear of the Spirit, but it's implied because what comes to the mind of the early readers and listeners of this is that you want to finish in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and you want to go on to the earth was formless and void, and the spirit fluttered kind of over, over the waters and things like that. And so people are picturing this. What John is giving us, it's, it's not technically a Genesis 2.0, but he's kind of shedding more light, revealing more to us of, of how Jesus, the word is how he refers to him, logos, uh, how he was involved, and nothing was created except through Jesus. This is the Trinity that there's one God in three persons. We could spend years trying to figure that out. We won't, but, uh, but it's something that's, that's very profound, but also simple. Some people can really just understand it, and others try to debate it in different ways. But there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. I love this. And speaking of, of John the Baptist and his testimony, you see him coming up a few times even in the prologue. Well, it's only a little bit later in the chapter. You won't see this on the screen, but you'll, you'll hear this just as Keller was pointing out. 
John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him being Jesus at his baptism. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then John caps it off with this testimony. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify he is the chosen one of God. He also says, it it says in the notes, uh, some manuscripts read the Son of God, and that's the point that John, the writer, is trying to get across to us, that this Jesus, this this word, this one who preexisted, who created everything, he is the Son of God, and that's what we're looking at today. I love how it's put in Colossians It wasn't too long ago that Pastor Tim took us through a series in Colossians. And we didn't get through the whole thing, did we? But the young adults are still, they're going to take us through. They're going to bring us through the home stretch. But I love this. It's, It's, again, very poetic that the Apostle Paul shares about Christ. He says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Isn't that cool? He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Remember, Jesus was before the in the beginning, and he was present and active in the beginning. And through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms. And it actually goes on to say something we were just singing about. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, right? And then down in verse 17, it says that he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Without Jesus, there's nothing. With Jesus, there's everything. It's amazing. I love this. Right in the middle of that opening uh, section, verse 5 in John 1, um, this is powerful, and we were also just singing about this, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is the light. And once that light comes into to being, nothing can stop it. The author Mark Sayers says that renewal has been released in the world and the powers of darkness cannot stop it. You cannot stop Jesus. You cannot. Let there be hope today that this renewal, as he's talking about, that's released into the world, you can't put an end to it. You can't stop it. You can't stop Jesus. Remember, just a few weeks back, we were talking about the good news, the gospel announcement. And the good news announcement is essentially that the time is here and the kingdom is near. That's still true today. The time that God has promised is here and the kingdom is near because of Jesus, thanks to him. What we've learned already in just a few short verses is a lot of theology. Theos being God and Logos being a word. So sort of a word about God, a word about the word in this case. Jesus is God. He's the word. He's preexistent. He's eternal. He's the creator. He's life itself. He's light. He's the true light. He became human. He's the Father's one and only Son. He's full of grace and truth or unfailing love and faithfulness, depending on the version that you read. He's near to the Father's heart. He's one with the Father. Jesus reveals God to us because he is God. Isn't that incredible? This is what we're looking at today in this kind of new chapter, kind of a new take on Genesis 1, and we're looking at John 1 as being this new beginning. Not of the Old Testament, but of the New Testament and where we're at today. John also writes a letter to us, and in his first letter, uh, one of the last verses, verses 20, the second to last, he says, and we know that the Son of God, Jesus, has come. And he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. 
And, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Notice how it doesn't just say that he gives and offers eternal life. He is eternal life. Let that be clear. What I want to point out to you, and we talked about this earlier this week, Brad, is that uh, Jesus is both exclusive and inclusive. And that's hard for the world to hear. It's not just one and it's not just the other. It's a both and. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is the only God. That's very exclusive, by the way. That offends every other religion, every other belief, every other political, ideological, any philosophy. It, 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 it really pushes people away. Yet, it's inclusive because even what John's trying to communicate to us in this first chapter of his gospel account is that even non-Jews, which would be most of us, anyone can receive him. So he might be the only God, and and that's a very bold statement, but everyone can receive him. So he's very inclusive. How incredible is that? It's okay to be exclusive, and it's okay to be inclusive, and in this case, he's not just one, but he's both. Jesus gives us rebirth. That's one of the main points of not just this first chapter of John, but really his whole book is about life, is about the life that he offers to us. But it's this new life. It's kind of fascinating that this God who is spirit actually became, he took on flesh and blood. And he wants us that has flesh and blood to become spirit, to be filled with the spirit. He wants to raise us to new life in the future. We were just singing, whether he calls me home or, or, or whatever, whether he returns Either way, that I would be with him standing in Christ alone. And I love how he puts it here in in verse 12. Almost the middle of of the passage that we opened with is that, remember, just before this, it says that he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But here's, here's the highlight. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. It goes on to say that they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so in my studies this week, and this has been an important verse for me, uh, for my entire Christian walk, understanding the transition that happens when you receive, when you believe and accept who Jesus is and what he has to offer, when you receive that from him, you're changed. You're then a child of God. There's something that changes inside of you that becomes an eternal change. And so when I was reading this, the word, I don't know if I can pronounce it correctly, so you can, you can bear with me, but it's like exousia. And, and the idea here is that right, it's, it's, it's as in, not, not right as in right versus left, but right, a right given, uh, can also mean power. And that Jesus gives the, the right to us, but it's God's power that actually makes us children of God. So the important thing here is that there's our part, which is the receiving. And that's important, and, and you actually have to do that on your own. You have to receive what he's offering. But God's part is the rebirthing. Is that even a word? doesn't matter. It is now. It's published. Rebirthing is God's part, his power. He does the heavy lifting. Of course he does. But there's still our part. It's not forced upon us. It's something that we actually have to receive. So isn't that good? There's our right, and then there's his power. And obviously his power outweighs. But we, we need to receive this. Just following uh, that statement is that John puts it this way, so the word, so at this point throughout, he hasn't used the word 
Jesus yet. He hasn't used that name yet, but we're, we're seeing how it's, it's implied. And he says it this way, so the word became human, or many say became flesh, or flesh and blood. I love it, just a couple years ago uh, with Pastor John Simons here, uh, going into our, our Christmas Eve kind of setting, we, we called it moving into the neighborhood. Because of the message paraphrase, the way he puts it is that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. That God himself moved into the neighborhood. So the word became human and made his home among us, is, is how it says it in the New Living Translation. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So let's camp out, really, pun intended, here just for a moment. The idea, this, this is beyond most of us who, who didn't grow up reading um, Genesis, Exodus, and, and, and so on, but we, we need to see the importance of this just for a moment because the original readers, again, mostly Jews, but then some non-Jews that John's trying to explain is this is available to all of you. It's not just to his uh, initial people, and you'll see the highlight of that in a moment. But the point here is that other, other wordings on this it's, it's not just that he became human. It's not just that he took on flesh and blood, but it's that he made his home among us. And that what that actually means is that he, he dwelled or he tabernacled. And so what this is talking about is God's presence. Jesus himself being God comes bringing his presence. Doesn't this sound like we're getting ready for Christmas? It's okay. And any time is good to celebrate Christmas and Easter, of course, because of Jesus' coming, there is hope. And so in this, uh, the author, Joseph uh, Dongeli, is one of our Wesleyan um, uh, teachers at Wesley Seminary, and, and he has a commentary on this exact part, and he explains how the tabernacle was the place in which God's glorious presence dwelled for the benefit of his people. Notice, not just for the benefit of God, because obviously he is worthy of it all. But here, it's, it's for the benefit of his people. And so it's kind of a picture back to the Exodus. Not just the Exodus, but Exodus, the whole writing, and so much later, where there's actually this, this kind of tent, this dwelling place. It was very temporary because they had to keep moving. But the idea is that that's where God's presence would reside, for the benefit of his people. But here, Jesus takes on flesh and blood, not a tent, but he comes in tabernacles with us. He comes, he brings God's presence because he himself is God. He brings his presence to people. This is powerful. Obviously, John the Baptist shares about how he's the one who will then extend the Holy Spirit, and we know that we have the Holy Spirit with us now if we've received him. But there's an idea here. So we're camping out here for a moment as though God himself has camped out. And so the phrase the way that John Mark Homer puts it is the, the phrase made his dwelling among us is literally pitched his tabernacle among us. It sounds kind of funny, but he came and, and the way he says it is that's a reference to the tabernacle that Israel put up at the base of Mount Sinai. So think about all, all the history for the Jews that came from there. John's making this really bold, exclusive statement that God himself is in Jesus Christ. God himself came and really dwelled among, he pitched his tabernacle. He did it himself, by the way, whereas before, humans were involved in, in actually putting up the, the, the tabernacle or the tent, and here, Jesus himself, God himself, the Father's will is confirmed through the Son. It's amazing. And so as I was studying this week, I was wondering, is this really Genesis and Exodus revisited? Is it like a 2.0? Is that possible? I don't, I don't know if that's fair. But, you know, we're, we're reading about Jesus. Even in this, we're seeing kind of a compare and contrast with Moses. 
But did you know he's also trying to make a point of Abraham? That goes even before, uh, before Moses. A little bit later, you hear this interaction, and aren't, aren't the Pharisees, aren't the religious leaders always trying to, to find their way to, to, to nail Jesus, right? And so Jesus is making these bold statements, and he's talking about Abraham looked forward to this day where all of a sudden God's presence is among his people, and, and that promise to Abraham that, that really through you, there's going to be a descendant. There's going to be uh, a descendant, like singular, a seed that, that will then benefit the whole world. It wasn't just that he was going to have children, which he did. And Jesus, if you track back in the genealogies, it sounds boring to some, but you, you get to see how God's uh, providence and his promise stayed true through, through generation after generation. And so you see this promise all of a sudden takes place in Jesus. And so Abraham uh, you know, would, would, be, would be excited about this. And the, and the fascinating thing that connects with Moses is that they're complaining. Like, Jesus, how, how can you say this? You're not even 50 years old, and you're talking about our ancestor, the, the patriarch, Abraham. You're talking about him. This is ridiculous. And then Jesus says this bold statement that before Abraham was, I am. So some might say, well, that just means that he existed before Abraham. And that's true because he was before the beginning. But that I am... Does that sound familiar? What did Moses hear? Who should I say? What's your name? When I go to your people, my people, uh, who should I say you are? And and God essentially says, I am. It's amazing. And Jesus himself here is making the bold statement, I am. I'm the same one that appeared to Moses. I'm the same one that led you out of Egypt. I'm about to lead you out of something much Greater, And so there's an Exodus 2.0 that it's about to take place. And so as I was studying this, and, and, and this is just a sneak peek to next week, that Kenzie, Pastor Kenzie's going to preach next week. Yeah. So those of you worried about the guitar thing and all that, I'll play next week. Don't worry. I, I will. I'll do it. But I'm trying to set Kenzie up. I, I have just a sneak peek, and I'm not going to give you that much detail because he, he's going to blow you away. It's going to be great. But when I sat down with him a few weeks ago and I shared, here's where I think I'm going to go this week, if at, all it, if at all it could help set you up, is that there's this phrase, not in the New Living Translation, but in the English Standard Version, there's this phrase that I picked up in, in John um, 1 verse 16, and it essentially talked about us receiving grace upon grace. And I had to dig into that because I just loved the thought. So before I knew anything about it, I thought, like, you have grace and then you stack more grace on top of it. Wouldn't that be great if we were known for stacking grace on top of grace? You know what I mean? Because you talk about the truth and grace and how Jesus somehow, there's a tension between how he, he somehow can fully handle both of them. This is actually a different thing, though. And so in my study this week is that the Greek really did mean grace upon grace is what we've received from Jesus. Why? Well, initially, grace was given to and even through Abraham to his people and his descendants, and then ultimately to the whole world. And then grace came to and then through Moses. God used him in a powerful way. But I want you to hear this clearly, that God extended grace to his people through Moses, but the fullness of God's grace is made available for all people through Jesus Christ. That's the highlight. Although he is exclusive, this is inclusive, Anyone can receive this from Jesus. It, there's, there's really no one out, outside of being willing to, to receive that grace if they are willing to receive it. But the heavy lifting is God's. God did it all. We were just singing about this. So God's, God has extended his grace 
to his people. So some people like to think that the law wasn't grace at all. That's not true. But sin actually abused the law and just pointed out how bad we are. And even if someone could potentially keep all the commands, which there's not just 10, there's like 613, if someone could actually do that, they still need Jesus. They're still probably shallow. Jesus elevated things in an extreme way, saying, if you even think about murder, if you even think about hurting someone, you're sinning. Like, it's not even just that, well, I didn't do it, though. It's like, no, but it's in your, what's in your heart? You're a mess. Like, you need me. And so this is the point. So he did extend grace to us through, he revealed part of his character to us through Moses. And the people looked up to Moses. But all of a sudden, he makes the fullness. There's nothing held back through Jesus. It's incredible. John shares the purpose of his writing. We're not looking, obviously, at the entire uh, gospel account. But if you go to the second to last chapter, so we talked about the prologue. Well, now we're just before the epilogue. And he says this, these things are written so that you may continue to believe. So many of you already believe. Some of you, maybe you're encouraged to believe today. So that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. It's all about life. He himself is life, and he's extending it to us. He already has. Are we willing to receive it? He's done the heavy lifting. Can you receive it? And so John is saying, so that you may continue to believe, so that we can keep singing in Christ alone, my hope is found. Incredible? I think so. I'm going to call the band out. We're, we still have a, a couple minutes to, to wrap this up, but they're, they're going to sing. I, I mean, honestly, I, I, could, I could be like, could you sing that song again or this one or that? There's just so many. There's not like one perfect song, um, but I love it. I, I love how each week there's a song that, that hits in a fresh way. Do you find that as well with the scripture? When you, when you read the scripture, how, how God speaks to you afresh and anew. And maybe in this new season, in this new chapter, maybe the same thing that has been there all along hits you in a fresh way. What if you could have a new chapter? What if you could begin something fresh? What if you could feel it in a fresh way today? Is that possible? It is because Jesus brings that. He makes it available to us if we're willing to receive it. He sums up the Father's will for us in this way. In John chapter 6, in verse 40, he says, "For and it's in the red letters, by the way, representing that it's Jesus. He says, for it is my Father's will that all who see the Son, that's himself, and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus himself, he's not just offering eternal life, he himself is eternal life. And this is what I want you to catch before we close, is that Jesus gives life because he is the author of life. Jesus is before the beginning. He's active. Nothing was created except through him. So if he wants to raise us, if we're willing to receive him, to accept him, he'll do it because he has all the power. Life, light is from him. He pre-existed. And so in this new chapter that we're going into right now, we can trust him. Why? Because we know the final chapter. And as we were singing, whether that final chapter is his return for us, or, or whether it's him calling us home, we can have our trust found in him. He wants us to have this eternal life because he himself is life. His presence is made known to us. Because of this gospel, he's sharing with us that, that time that God has promised 
It's here. The kingdom of God is near. Will you accept that Jesus is this one who pre-existed? Will you accept that he is the one who created it all? Nothing was created. Nothing has life without him. Nothing has meaning without him because he himself is even meaning itself. Father, we thank you so much for this new chapter. Not that this is new to us, but maybe it's fresh to us. We're going into this new season and um, there's, there's happy times, there's hard times, but God, we can trust you with it all. We thank you so much for, for John, for the way that he gave us this, this firsthand account and, and even in a poetic nature for us to understand it. We thank you for that grace that's stacked upon grace that we can receive from you. We thank you for your promise. So my prayer right now would be that I would see this in a fresh way, that your Holy Spirit would have your way in me, that, that we would be seeking to do your will, the Father's will. We thank you that, that, God, this is made possible and made available, that although we are believing that you are the one true God, that also you make yourself available to all people. And so we thank you that you can be both exclusive and inclusive. And so now, Father, I'm praying. I, I don't know for sure where everyone stands. I know that there, there's quite possibly someone here that doesn't yet, hasn't yet received you. And so I would pray that they would be encouraged, that they would know you. I would pray that people would feel comfortable even returning to you at this time. We thank you for the hope. We thank you for this transformation, how you can basically rebirth us which sounds crazy, but we believe if, if you can speak life into existence, you can do this. And so we're trusting you with it in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.